birds are singing, the sun is out, spring has sprung. Has your wardrobe followed suit? If not, you can get a refresh with Bombas, my favorite brand for socks, tees, and underwear that also has an amazing mission that we support wholeheartedly. Because for every incredible comfy item that I get from Bombas, they match with a donation to someone who is unhoused. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash hard things and use code hard things for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash hard things and use code hard things at checkout. Think about how delicately you hold your baby, you dress your baby, and you feed your baby. We do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this. There is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle protective care your little one needs, and that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand, and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry, healthy, and beautiful. And when you use Swaddlers in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth, and you won't have to worry about tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets it's match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. So Pod Squad, Get Untamed, the journal is out today. Get it. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm really excited about I this. I too. It's I amazing. I feel like it's an experiment for people to do in their own homes and lives. So I was thinking this morning about how when Untamed came out, it was such a strange and weird time. And I thought, of course, you know this, I thought no one on earth would read it because it was the beginning of a pandemic. And it turned out to be something that people really depended on, which was kind of a beautiful thing for me. Um, So now Get Untamed, the journal's coming out at this interesting time where we're all kind of trying to decide what we're going to build next. What I love about it is that I think in in instead of figuring out what we're going to build next, we kind of have to figure out from where we're going to build. And right. so many women especially struggle to know who we are because we've spent so much time trying to please others. So I'm excited for people to tell me how this journal works in their lives. Um, and listen, we we all know every freaking life is an unprecedented experiment. So I certainly don't have any answers. Um, but in the journal, I kind of collected the questions, the right questions that I think will maybe help guide you toward the answers that are already inside of you. Um, so give it a try. I want to know how it goes. I want this to be a conversation just like everything else. But first, order today at getuntamedjournal.com or head over to your local independent bookstore or wherever you shop for books. All right, let's start a very exciting show. We stopped asking directions to places they've never been. Welcome, loves 
to We Can Do Hard Things, you're in for a treat today. We have a very special human being with us today. I would say one of my very favorite public women in the world. Cool. Um, I uh, first remember encountering Gabrielle Union um, a long, long time ago. I was watching some kind of interview and I I was much younger than I am today. And (laughs) I remember distinctly Gabrielle Union being the first woman I ever saw speak vulnerably and powerfully about being a survivor of sexual assault. And it's seared into my memory. And then she went on to do all the things. Let me just read just a few. Here's a few of the things. Gabrielle Union is an actress, executive producer, activist, best-selling author, and Times 100 cover honoree. She will next be seen in Disney's remake of Cheaper by the Dozen, very excited about that, developed by Kenya Barris for Disney+. Plus. In May of 2021, Gabrielle released, in partnership with her husband, Dwayne Wade, her second children's book, Shady Baby. (laughs) Let us please just talk about the name, Kavya, the Shady Baby, all day long. I, she's one of my favorite Instagram followers. It's Gabrielle Union's, not her, but her daughter. <laughs> you Got Anything Stronger, which is in my hand right now and highlighted to death, um, was released in September. In August of 2020, Gabrielle relaunched her hair care brand, Flawless, by Gabrielle Union for women with textured hair. Prior to relaunching Flawless, Union co-founded Bitsies with the goal of making healthy snacks that are accessible and affordable for all families regardless of their socioeconomic or geographical status. Gabrielle serves as an advocate for inclusion in the entertainment industry, and she is a champion of breast health and combating sexual violence. Gabrielle, welcome to We Can Do Hard Things. Gabrielle can do freaking hard things. I mean, (laughs) get out of here with that bio. (laughs) Oh my God. I was like, did my mom write that bio? She's like, and when she was eight, she <laughs> saved a cat. No, thank you guys for having me. This is, this is, I have to say there, there's, there was one request when my book tour started and they're like, is there anyone, you know, they usually say, who do you want to avoid? And I'm like, oh, nobody, I'll talk to anybody. They're like, is there anyone that you absolutely want to talk to? And I was like, please, Jesus, <laughs> and then please. Please, Are you serious? Please. Yes, I begged. I begged and I begged and I begged. Um, and so <sighs> this is this. You have no idea. My girlfriend gave me Untamed and like every I, I probably like on page two. Um, I, I had already underlined so many things and I just kept calling her. Um, she's like, I, I have a job, ma'am. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I know, but we have to talk about this. I'm, I'm in the cage. I'm pacing. It arrived at the. At a, at a time where I was circling the drain and I, it just saved me. And I just, I have yeah. to thank you. And I, I've, I've just been a fan of both of you. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to try not to fan out and be a weirdo. So I have to tell you, I had the same experience with your book. I, I remember having that conversation with Austin, my friend, Austin Channing Brown. We were both <laughs> in the middle of the book and we called each other and we're like, holy shit. Like she's, this she's saying the true things. Yeah. Like I just kept being more surprised and more surprised every chapter by how honest you were in this book. I loved it so freaking much, but I have to tell you before we even um, got this book in the mail, you got anything stronger. Abby and I have been, um, I don't know what the word would be moved, inspired, 
by your family. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've been watching. Yes. <laughs> We've been reading Instagram captions aloud to each other. We see how boldly, um, you know, our biggest dream for our family is that everyone in our family feels both held and free. Mm. Right. Mm. Held by each other, but also free to be their full selves. And you are modeling that so well with your children. And we'll get to that in a second. But when I read the first chapter or several chapters of this book, I knew not only did I need to know you personally, but also have you on because so many of our listeners deal with infertility. Uh It's, I think, the top thing that people write to me and say, please talk about this because so many people are suffering experiencing infertility and you write about it so honestly and so beautiful. Um, Gabrielle, you said, the reason I can't tell you how many miscarriages I have had is that my life became one long loss. I numbed myself growing used to the fact that life is not a series of heartbreaks, but an unending of failure and rejection. The worst thing about hope is that it remains to taunt you Mm. just out of reach. Can you talk to, I love that by the way, because people are always talking about hope as a good thing, but actually hope is what kicks your ass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Because hope, hope keeps you on the line. Mm. It's the, it's the carrot that, that you're sort of chasing after because we talk about hope as if it's the, as if it's our salvation. As long as you have hope, you'll be okay. As long as you have an idea that there can be something different mm-hmm. or better or change or evolution. Yes. Yes. So absolutely. There is the possibility of, of better days, but sometimes hope is fool's gold mm-hmm. and, and our ideas around what hope can do. Um, I don't know. I think we need to shift those a bit and be a little bit more honest about what it means to dive headfirst into a shallow pool of hope. You're not going to come out okay. You're, you're not, you know what I mean? Um, there will be injury, some that you can see, some that you will feel spiritually forever, for a lifetime. Um, but we kind of have to need, we need to know that, that hope isn't the cure-all, the, the, the salvation for every one of life's ills. It, it just kind of keeps you in the game where you're like, maybe, maybe this time. I don't know. I don't know. You know, yeah, that's why it's like a Buddhist principle of, of abandoning hope. I'm going to say that wrong and everyone's going to write to me about it. But the idea that it, the hope is, am I going to be okay eventually? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to be okay eventually. But the hope is not, I'm going to still get this thing that I want so bad. That's good. Well, like that's, I think, has- what we think of hope as, you know, logically, practically, I think we look at hope as the dream, you know, you can hope and you dream. We kind of use those interchangeably. If you remove hope from your life, you don't exist. Mm. You know, if you remove dreams from your life, you don't exist. Mm. We just have to, I think we just need different language so we can be completely honest. Like I want better. I want more. I want Mm. different but I recognize that it might not be the, the end all be all that I had chalked it all up to be. You know, I, I used to want 
a, a, a young man, you know, with bow legs. I thought that I had hope that if a, if a man with bow legs just entered my life, I <laughs> life would change. You know, I, I to this day, I have hope that if I can learn to twerk, that my life will change. The world will open up to me. I, I, you know, maybe I need some different hopes or maybe I need some different language, you know, surrounding some of these things. The infertility in particular is so interesting to me because there's, you were so honest when you were writing about how it felt like failure. Mm -hmm. And this always fascinates me about women, all these things that happen to us that have nothing to do with our control. We, We can't control them, but we, because of what society tells us we're supposed to be, they feel like failures. You said, if I could get pregnant, I would forever shake off the distrust society has for women who, for whatever reason, by choice or by nature, do not have babies. The murmur of the unseen crowd came to me. This woman is such a failure. Can you talk to, I just want people who are listening to feel seen by this, I don't know, would you call it a, 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 struggle or this long period in your life when you were trying for this thing that you wanted so bad and couldn't get? Yeah. Fertility is a journey. Like when they say journey, uh, that's exactly what it is. I mean, I have our, our, you know, miracle child, Miss Kavia James, she's amazing. Um, but there's that thing in the back of my head every month, I mean, I'm, I just turned 40. Not, I, I don't know how many eggs are left. Uh, you know, like I, they could be filled with dust. I don't know. But every month when my period comes, to this day, it feels like a little death. And it feels like my body failed me. It feels like the world failed me. It mm-hmm. feels like every, every system that I, I bought into you know, desperately and, and totally, it was all BS. It was all bullshit, you know, cause we tell kids, we tell kids, you do the right things, you know, you get good grades, you're a good person, you're, you're helpful, you're compassionate, you, you, you like your mother, whatever, you know, you, you're, you're good people, good things are going to happen. And you just sort of assume I'm not going to have any trouble. I'm, I'm a good person. Like, you know, they tell you to eat like basically weeds and, and take the supplements and, and, you know, whatever. And, and then, you know, you're, you're preparing your body for the life. And what if you do all of those things and it doesn't fucking happen? Mm -hmm. What are you left with? But feelings of failure, you either get it done or you don't. And, you know, Abby, you know, you could speak to this as a, as an, as an athlete, I grew up as an athlete. My dad is very, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Bobby Knight. He was a famed basketball coach, from Indiana, who was notorious as being a bit psycho. Um, some say passionate, some say toxic and abusive. Um, I think there's like a legal, like a legal trail behind that man. But my dad, thought Bobby Knight was the Messiah. And he raised the three of us girls with like Bobby Knight mentality, with like a hard fist. Everything is black and white. You put in the work, you know, you should win, which is, you know, you could put in all the work and you never win. But I, I took that, I took that mentality 
into every area of my life. And when you take that mentality into fertility, mm-hmm. I'm doing all the things, I'm making my appointments, I'm doing the shots. Like I didn't, I stopped trusting myself to do the, um, the IVF shots. I hired the nurse from the, the clinic to come to my house because I'm like, why are you trusting me with such a big task and, and a big part of this journey? I don't trust myself. I, I'm clearly not getting it done. I'm clearly a loser. I'm clearly a failure. And then it feels public. Right. When, when mm. people, you get married or you're in a committed relationship. And the, the question is always, when are you guys going to have kids? If someone loves your love, they want that love to spread and to create more right. Um, children. And so the questions are nonstop. And when you are someone that is known or in the spotlight, it's literally millions of people who are invested in you not getting your period, you Ugh. know, and <laughs> you creating this life and being able to hold this life and, and doing all the right things to show that you deserve this life and, and that you are worthy of this life. And when it doesn't happen, it feels like this public flogging, this Mm. public emotional flogging. It is emotional chaos that I I don't, honestly, I, I probably didn't do a great job of it because it's so big. Mm-hmm. But you're trying that you're, you're so covered in shame, like syrup mm-hmm. that you can't get out from underneath it. And it just feels like everyone can see everything. They can, mm-hmm. they can see your failure. They can see that you're a loser. They can see inside of your womb and inside of your heart to know you don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. And that you must be doing something that is, is affecting your ability but it, oh. it all comes down to you, like character issues. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like character mm-hmm. flaws. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it just feels like death every oh, yeah. month. I mean, I, what you just said was so profound for me because when, when we got together, I came into this marriage with her and Craig had three children. And my dream was to have a child of my own. And over time, I realized that wasn't what this family was about, that that was actually preventing me from getting close to these other children, these children that I want to bring into my own heart. But what you just said, every month when I get my period, I kind of like there there's a moment that I that I experience with myself. And I'm sure whether you are trying to have a baby and cannot, or when you are choosing to not have a baby, Mm. I'm sure that that monthly reminder of your uterus being, and I'll say it for myself, feeling like my uterus was worthless. Yes. What the fuck was all of these periods for? Mm. Yes. What was all of this I mean, listen, it's not easy to get your period every freaking month. No. There's a lot of drama that mm-hmm. goes into it and stress and money mm-hmm. and pain. I mean, the pain, the cramps, all of it, it just feels like, well, what was this all for? Yeah, good call. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations and multiple systems, the more margin you have and the more of your hard-earned money you get to keep. But with higher expenses than ever on things like materials and distribution, everything just costs more. That's why smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform. 
and one source of truth. You'll reduce IT costs, you'll cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you'll improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, and expenses don't slow down, so why should you? By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hard things, netsuite.com slash hard things. That's netsuite.com slash hard things. I loved this part where I was trying to figure out this in my own life, where you said, Gabrielle, yet you're still trying to find the difference. Like, when do you know when to stop trying? Yes. Especially if your dad loved Bobby Knight and that's your whole, uh, my dad was a football coach. Okay, so I'm with you. No pain, no gain, no guts, no glory. It's too far from the heart to hurt. It's time for a Hail Mary. Your book was so full of sports metaphors that I actually had to ask Abby about a lot of things. Yeah. Okay. Um, So I loved the part where, where you had to decide where was the line between continuing to try or go a different route right? And you said, I'm still trying to learn the difference between resilience and neglecting my emotional reality. Mm. I mean, it's, I've, listen, I, I wish I, I had the complete answer, but the reality is I, I still struggle with this. Um, and the choice was kind of made, not kind of, it was my husband who had been along on this journey and we were going through our own thing that made this journey feel so much more public and so much more fraught with um, whew, chaos mm-hmm. and scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time we got the, the diagnosis and finally someone was like, oh girl, you got adenomyosis. I don't know what you were thinking was gonna happen. You know, your adenomyosis is in a part of your uterus where most implantation occurs. And what it does is as the embryo implants and tries to grow, the adenomyosis covers it like a blob. And the only hope for you to carry a baby to term would be to try this drug, Lupron. And Lupron gives you a 30% chance of carrying a baby to term. But the fun part of Lupron is that it throws your body into early menopause and kind of makes your bones super brittle. So I was like, what? I could break bones and and still not be able to have a baby? Mm -hmm. Sounds perfect. And my husband was like, ma'am, ma'am, enough. Um. He, he threw in the towel and it felt very much like, you know, I, I am full of sports, you know, metaphors and references, but that moment of, you know, he's like that, the, the Apollo Creed's manager that's watching <laughs> him die. You know what I mean? And, and Rocky three and he's like, and he's fighting Clubber Lane. Like my infertility was like Clubber Lane and my ass was Apollo Creed. And the, you know, D is the manager, like, that's it. I'm throwing in the towel. And he's like, no, um, cut to he's dead. RIP Apollo Creed. But I just didn't want to give up, you know? And if there was a chance, 30%, so I might as well be 110. I'm going for it. And D was like, you've done enough. And there was a, the logical part of my brain that was like trying to fight its way out. That was like, ma'am, you, you, you squashed me for long enough. Might I make an appearance? And I'm like, ooh, logic, how are you? And it's like, stop, <laughs> it's enough. Like <laughs> you've reached the end of the rope. And, but my emotional side was like, you motherfucker, you are going to be the one to tell me mm-hmm. I've done enough. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it, would, it was a decision that was sort of foisted upon me mm-hmm. and I begrudgingly accepted it. And I don't know, through a lot of therapy and um, <laughs> Brene Brown, you know, TED Talks and podcasts and books, I, I read certain chat, like I've read certain little excerpts at the right time, just like when I read your book at the right time, when I'm circling the drain and she was like, vulnerability is a superpower. Vulnerability is where it's at. And throughout this whole thing, I'm holding it all in because I'm, I'm enveloped in shame, mm-hmm. you know, and humiliation. Every period was humiliating. Mm-hmm. Every, every, every time my body betrayed me, it was shame. And here is this woman, this gift saying, yeah, yeah, sucks. Um, but what if you were honest about it? What if you just told the fucking truth about what you feel to everybody and you release the shame and you release the humiliation? Because I thought those things were protecting me from reality. They're not, <laughs> it's a delay from reality. It kind yes. of morphs reality. Um, it's going to look a thousand times worse than it actually is, you know, when it's framed through the prism of shame and humiliation. But when you embrace the truth and radical transparency, holy shit, it was, I, I, I freed myself. Mm-hmm. I freed, I freed, I freed myself to exist as I actually was. Ugh. And And at that time I was broken and I had to be okay with being broken, but kind of committing to maybe I don't need to stay here. Yeah. You know, being vulnerable isn't just like, yeah, oh, girl, this shit sucks. I feel terrible. And I'm just going to be here forever. Uh, Feel free to circle back and, you know, throw a dime in my cup. Um, (laughs) Vulnerability made me want to get help. Yeah. Vulnerability made me want to seek community. Yes. Yes. And, and, and talk to other people who are in this fucked up space. Yeah. Like, tell me how you got out. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm dealing with. How did you see the light? How did you, how did you get there? Even if there wasn't a baby at the end of it, how did you get there? Mm-hmm. And what I realized was when, when you embrace radical transparency, it breeds community. But when you, when you embrace the lie mm. and you embrace caginess and being vague and, and, and silence, it breeds isolation. That's right. Yes. I learned that Gabrielle in recovery. Mm. I mean, walking into recovery meetings and sitting in those circles. And then it's like you you have that uncomfortable truth part where you're actually doing the thing. But then what's so cool after these recovery meetings is like you, you go outside and see all these, well, they're always like chugging Mountain Dews and smoking cigarettes (laughs) because that's what we have to do for a long while. But like the joy and the community and the release that is the vibe after those meetings is because of that. Yep. It's because you feel free and then you want to, it's just this magical connection. Yeah. One person tells the truth and it makes somebody go, oh, I'm less alone inside of my thought of shame or humiliation. It's like, if you can get comfortable being vulnerable, that is the freedom Mm -hmm. because then you find all the other people that what Glennon always says is they come around and they just start saying, me too, me too, me too. Then you find your people and mm-hmm. you feel less lonely. And then you've also released this shame and humiliation that is just like made up inside of you. 
Yeah. You're an inspiration. Yeah. Yes, oh. she is. I mean, well, if you all want to know like the actual level of truth, because one of the things I love about you in general, and of course the way you wrote the book is that there's no moment. I, I'm, I'm so wary of like the Cinderella stories where it's like, this was so, so hard. And now, yeah. the, <laughs> right? Like so many people, I think even think they have to write books that way. Yeah. yeah. And then it always sounds like bullshit because- Because it is. Because it is, because what you're talking about hope also. Well, I'll be okay once I have the baby. Mm-hmm. I'll be okay once I find the love of my life. I'll be okay once. And then the once you keep landing there and you keep freaking being yourself. And then it's just a total, like the carrot, the chasing of the carrot can be forever. So the truth that you bring in this book, can you talk to us? You had an, a there she is moment, which actually freaked me out because the there she is moment is from Untamed is the most important moment of my life. But this is the moment where you first saw Kavya, okay, mm-hmm. as like a little, what are they, a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. You said- On one of those sonogram pictures? Yes, yes, okay. yes. Mm-hmm. Natalie, who was your surrogate, laid down for Dr. Back to pass the ultrasound wand over the bump. There she is, she said. And she was there, here, this very clear little baby in there. And you go on to say, Dwayne took my hand and there was so much happiness on his face, I lost it. My cry was a choke stopped up in my throat, tears streaming down. It was grief. Can you tell us about that? That moment where should have, this is life, right? Should be joy, should be joy. Is joy? is also grief. Yeah. 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 Um, mm. There there are similar feelings in that moment to feelings of infidelity. Mm. When you are like, well, what did she have that Mm -hmm. I didn't have? What did they have that I didn't have? And and what can I do to be more like that? Mm -hmm. Right? So as I'm looking at the the screen and it's life, right? This life has been created. I'm like, I'm looking at the chick that got it done. Mm. I'm looking at the motherfucker that had the goods to Mm. get it done. And it just, again, felt like humiliation and shame and worthlessness. And yeah, I just, Mm. I couldn't, I couldn't get past that, that someone else had to be called in to get it done. Like to this day, I watch baseball and, you know, when they call up a pinch hitter in my heart, this is terrible. This is terrible. I'm just, but I'm being honest. I'm like, I hope they whiff. Um, because in the, in, I'm like, I don't care if it's my team. Like, I'm like, mm, like, I want the guy that got subbed out to be, to have that moment of like, see, he couldn't get it done either. Um, <laughs> Like, I am so grateful that Kavya James is here, but in that moment, watching someone else get it done and watching someone else provide this joy for my man and our family that I I felt removed from Mm -hmm. uh, was excruciating. And all of the surrogacy stories that, I read about were just pure gratefulness and moonlight Mm -hmm. and roses and 
unicorns and shit. And, and I was like, oh, now I'm a bad person. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely not worthy of being this, this little miracle's mother. Mm -hmm. I'm an, I'm an actual asshole. Like I shouldn't be allowed around human beings. Like I have these, these thoughts. Um, but that's, that's the reality of where I was at. That is my truth. And if I'm going to keep it a buck, like a lot of people, when we're really honest, um, other women, other families who've gone through surrogacy journeys, talk about that. You're not allowed to talk about it. Certainly not publicly. You know, when you, when you go, when you take the baby to the first, you know, family gathering, it's gotta be all moonlight and roses and just, you know, pure gratitude. But when we're allowed those honest moments where we're just talking amongst our, you know, our little crew of people who, who know this intimately, some of us had feelings of like, just negative feelings toward the surrogate because it was a reflection. It was a mirror of how we felt about ourselves. Mm. Um, you know, some people didn't want to talk to their surrogate or see their surrogate because watching life grow outside of your body, your child growing outside of your body, these not, you know, nine, 10 months are supposed to be when you bond with your baby and here you are, it, it's you're removed from it. You're no better than the husband. You're no better than the other spouse that is where it's happening outside of your body. You're both at the same place. Mm -hmm. And mothers are supposed to be ahead of fathers in that mm -hmm. way. But here we are, you know, and he's, you know, he was a teen parent. So he's been a parent longer, you know, over half his life, my husband. And I'm like, I didn't even babysit. Like, I was like, I'll mow your lawn. Don't give me your kids. Like, oh, no, thank you. I'll <laughs> clean the gutters before I watch your kids. And it just, everything was just, foreign. And there was, there was so much shame and hurt watching someone else get it done that it, yeah, it just was a walking, breathing monument of my failure. Mm. And, and everyone was celebrating her. And here I was struggling with my feelings. Um, but when I talk to other families and we're being honest, I know I'm not alone. That's yeah. right. But it really comes down to, it's a reflection. It's all a, reflect, a reflection of how we feel about ourselves and those feelings that we don't allow to see the light of day, that we keep pressed down because of shame and because of our fear of humiliation um, and our fear of it. judgment. Ugh. That is the kind of vulnerability and honesty that changes lives and frees people because That's women right. are allowed to say, it was very sad. And then it was very happy and I'm grateful. Yeah. Yeah. The, that's the storyline yeah. we're allowed. So to say it was sad and infuriating and I was jealous and all, mm -hmm. to say all and also it, like you're still saying, might be sad absolutely. and jealous. So there still might be those feelings, like even though Kavya is with you um, and, and Dwayne and you guys are living your life. I think that there still might be some of those feelings that have mm -hmm. continued on, even if you. Oh. Go to therapy. Absolutely. You're like, fuck, I'm still sad. And you've got a lot of sad. complicated, beautiful parenting going on. <laughs> that is the nicest way anyone has ever put that. And yes. I love it. I love yeah. it so much. <laughs> Single-handedly impacting our environment for the better, that's a daunting task. But it's possible, and there are incredible people who are living proof that setting your mind to something and really being passionate about it will bring about change. The Goldman Environmental Prize is the world's foremost award honoring grassroots environmental activists. 
Each year, the prize honors six ordinary people who are making an extraordinary impact for the planet. If you look at this year's winners, you'll learn about Marcel Gomez, who exposed the links between a company's meatpacking practices and illegal deforestation, which led to a major boycott of that company's products. Amazing. You'll learn about Andrea Vidalre, whose relentless leadership resulted in California adopting its most ambitious emissions reduction regulations in history. And there are more amazing stories to discover. I can't imagine stories more important than these. Find the stories of this year's prize winners at goldmanprize.org. Can we go back and just flag something that you said earlier? When people love your love, they want you mm. to expand. They want it to expand. That is the kind, I will not, I cannot stand when people say anything about have you had, are you going to have a baby? But that is the most generous. I'm going to remember that forever. Okay. Um, you are a step parent. Mm. Yes. Yes. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit about? Um, well, actually, you wanted to ask questions. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. I should probably let you, since you are the actual step parent. Yeah. One of the things that I go through in my life that I could relate with you, I think, um, is this idea of step parenting, and I never really quite liked the word itself, step parent. And I think um, the way that I watch you interact and stand with and stand up uh, for Zaire and Zaya. I think that it's just astonishing to do it in such a public way. I feel like I've, I felt so much of, of what you have been going through. Um, you, you, you said in your book that you kept a fence up between you and them. And I would love to know a little bit more about that because I can I can relate. I'm just curious to to know what what you think about that. Yeah, I was a you know I I was an adult child of divorce. Mm-hmm. So my parents were married almost 30 years, and they got divorced um, after almost 30 years. And I was I was in college. So all of a sudden, I'm a grown ass person. Well, you know, you're a kid in college, but like I was, I'm an adult, and here I am having to deal with these these, these, this new terminology for this other grown ass woman. That's now saying I'm your stepmom. I was like, (laughs) 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 I'm gonna call you your name and you call me my name, but we're that that's stupid. Um, and I, to this day, I refer to, to her as my dad's wife Mm -hmm. and her name. I don't use the the phrase stepmom. Um, and so when I first started dating Dwayne, I, you know, I obviously I knew he had children. Um, and then he very quickly went through a very public, uh, custody battle. And to this day, I'm kind of like, this is kind of wild. You were a single NBA player who got full custody of small children. It's not common. Um, uh, but yeah, so all of a sudden it was like Monday, we were just this carefree, you know, couple I had, you know, gotten divorced if, you know, a few years prior and, you know, I was enjoying my life. Let us just put it that way. <laughs> we were fully enjoying all of the things. And then Tuesday, the kids arrived like on a dime, right? They, they, the cut, the, the ruling came down and, and here are these kids and they need, they need 
guidance and they need mm-hmm. parenting. And I, I, you know, we weren't married at that point. So I was just this additional adult in their life um, that I wanted to make sure that I was consistent in their lives. Um, whatever personality that I was trying on that day or, you know, whatever, whoever I was, I just needed to be consistent so they could get used to me. Right. They're, they've already gone through so much upheaval, you know, moving states away, not knowing anyone, you know, having gone through the, the, the trauma of divorce. And I just, I knew I needed to be consistent, but I just didn't know what my role was. Mm-hmm. And so by the time they proposed to me, because it was D and the kids proposing to me, um, I knew that when I married him, I was marrying them. The step parent label was put on me by the kids' school um, because you have to describe yourself. Like, who yep. are you if you are not their mother? God, um, it's so annoying. It's very annoying. And it's not a word I would use. There's something about the second you say step parent, step mother, step father. I mean, it's just thank you, Disney, for making, yes, you know, that's right. us the, like the worst villains ever. The wicked like, witch from the West. Yeah, it's like terrible. So you're automatically going into it with a mm, kind of vibe. Like, mm, let's see what this motherfucking gonna say. Um, <laughs> and so you're already behind the eight ball. So uh what I realized very quickly is you will never, ever, I don't care if the other parent is dead, you will never be able to replace that other parent. Mm-hmm. Don't try to replace that other parent. That is not your job. Mm-hmm. Your job is to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you're a disciplinarian in your own life, continue to be that. Don't be sometimey as the kids say. Um, <laughs> just be consistent so they know who you are. And kids adapt, like whatever, whatever. You don't put on a weird act and that you cannot keep up. Be consistent. Understand that you are never going to be their parent, but you can be a consistent, loving, compassionate adult in their life that they can always count on. And you need to be the, the sanctuary in the storm. It is not your job to offer commentary about the non-custodial parent. It is not your job to point children in the direction of, you know, the truth that you feel like is going to set you free, Mm. but burden them with knowledge that they don't really need. Mm. Um, especially, you know, children, um, and always remember that, that there is a that there is a gap in ages for a reason. One of y'all is the adult, and yeah. and 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 then there are children, and you always need to be the responsible adult that knows better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the high road is empty because it sucks, but when it comes to the the peace and um, sanctity of your children's yeah. lives, as much as I hate it. I will only take the high road when it comes to the kids mm. and protecting their peace and their grace. Um, all others good. meet me Let's on the that. low ground because we're yes. fighting bare knuckle brawl. But with with their with their peace, mm. it's it's like don't don't take family stuff or the past marriage relationship stuff and make it current topics in their presence. That is not your lane. Um, and I just talk about staying in my lane. My lane is to be consistent um, and, a, and a sanctuary in the storm and, and to just be an additional set of eyes and ears um, to help them be amazing people. Yeah. Amazing. And I think what's so wild and why everyone really needs to read this book is that what Gabrielle is saying, she actually shows when you talk about a sanctuary you were such and are such a sanctuary for Zaya. And this is how we always liked you, but we felt 
deeply in love with you and love. your family watching you lead the way um, with little Zaya. So I just, one of my favorite parts of the book, which there are many, is when you're preparing Dwayne for Zaya to <sighs> tell him that she, I think this isn't when she came out as gay, but when she came out as trans, you said to Dwayne, I need you to practice your listening face. I need open face, eyebrows up, like, oh, this is a pleasant discovery. And then you go on to say, which I love so much, this test wasn't about Saya. It was about who he was as a father. That is right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Your kids Talk are your kids. Mm. They are they are who they are. Um <laughs> but this was this was when Zaya came out as gay at the time. Okay. Um, okay. It was a very quick, you know, transition. She had different language. She she, she only knew the language that she knew at that time. Sure. So she came out as gay uh, in the third grade, um, and she had done this uh, this the school project about identity, and it was you know a picture of her in the middle, and she had all these spokes, and you know I'm I'm a middle child, I'm this, I'm. She also said she was Native American. We were like, mm, ma'am, that's not what the 23 and me said. But, um, you know, and then she said, <laughs> I'm gay. And her teacher, who was an amazing lesbian uh, in Chicago, uh, she was like, okay, this is amazing. I uh, don't know if this information is safe with the other parents, because this project was going up for um, open school, what is it, back to school night or mm-hmm. open house or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So the other parents were going to be touring, you know, the, the classroom. And because we we are both in the spotlight, uh, her concern was that Zaya's uh, privacy would not be, and her peace would not be respected. And maybe some folks might use her truth as conversation starters, mm-hmm. as, as folks do. Um, so she gave us the heads up that this is, this was happening. And, and I was like, perfect. I'd seen this coming for a while. And I was like, welcome. Um, but <laughs> with Dwayne, you know, my mom took us to our first gay pride parade, uh, in 82, when we moved mm. to uh, San Francisco and she brought us these stickers that said straight, but not narrow minded. Um, and my mom is like a super duper Catholic, like teaches CCD, mm. like all of her friends are priests and nuns. She's that kind of Catholic and she, but we're, and we're from Omaha, Nebraska, the North side. So it's just even smaller. And, (laughs) but her thing was, I've always wanted to raise my girls with a global perspective, not a town perspective. Mm -hmm. And she was like, and now we're in the Bay area and there's all these amazing communities. And I want you to, you know, to, to see it all and experience it all and, and, and get in there. Um, and, uh, so that's how I was raised. I mean, that's just sort of how I was raised, but Dwayne, maybe a little different on the South side of Chicago, you know, his mom is a pastor and, you know, and, and in sport there is, you know, as you know, there's just a lot of bigotry, it's a lot of bigotry, a lot of fear, a lot of hatred, a lot of ignorance. People say a lot of stupid crap. And when we first got together, I have a gaggle of friends uh, in the LGBTQIA community. And he was like, Oh, oh, every day. I'm oh yeah, yeah. Every day you're you're gonna be in the community. So I need you to get comfortable. Um <laughs> every day. <laughs> I'm even tired every day, Gabrielle. I gotta tell you. I mean, my, my best friends in the world. So they're around a lot. Um, and he was like, Oh, wait, are you sure so-and-so is gay? Cause like he's like, and I was like, get this. There's all kinds of gay guys. Gay guys just like you. There's gay guys on your team. Yeah. He's like, what, what, what? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And guess what? You're not their type. Yeah. So 
you know, anyway, so just, it was an education <laughs> so constantly good. throughout our relationship. Sure. And so when I knew that, you know, Zaya was coming home to share her truth with us, I was, I also knew that Dee's listening face, he listens like he's listening to a coach. And it's not like you're listening, like you're in the huddle and you're like, yeah, tell us about that play, Spolstra. This sounds amazing. <laughs> um, you know, the eyebrows aren't up, your face isn't open. He just, he listens, you know, a scrunchy face and the whole thing. And I was like, so when Zaya tells you, I need open face, eyebrows up, smile. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. So Zaya comes home and she is shaking. She's just, she's shaking. She has no idea what our reaction is going to be, which to me, I was like, damn, I feel unsafe Mm -hmm. to this child. Mm. And I thought I was doing all the right things, Mm. but it lets you know, as much as you think you're doing, you probably really aren't doing shit. And she's turning into me just bawling. Mm. And I was like, what is it, baby? What is it? And she was like, I'm gay. And I said, oh my gosh, this is wonderful. This is, we're going to celebrate. This is so awesome. I'm so happy that you told us this is so great. And she's like, I was like, do you think you can tell dad? And she was like, I don't know. I don't know. And I was like, I think dad might surprise you. So D comes in from practice and, you know, he's still got the, the D face on, which is kind of scrunched <laughs> face, eyebrows, you know, looking like a villain. And, and I'm like, I'm behind Zion. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm looking psychotic. And, and he's like, you know, now he's putting on this weird face. And so I was like, I don't, now you look nuts. I don't even know what to say to you. Yeah. <laughs> but she told D, and D was like, "This is so wonderful. I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of you." Yeah. Um, and then she was like, "Hmm, maybe I could tell others." And she had this list called the Never Ever List, the people that she she did not she never wanted to tell about her identity. And it was like you know ten names deep, and half the people on that list lived in our house or worked mm-hmm. in our house. And uh, 15 minutes later, the you know the the older kids came home and she goes upstairs, comes, flies back down. And she's like, I told him, I told Zaire and Dada. And we were like, what did they say? And she's like, Zaire was like, oh, okay, cool. And what did Dada say? All right. And we're like, that's great for them. They're (laughs) teens. They don't talk. But she was like so surprised that she was being embraced with love and understanding and joy. Mm-hmm. And people, by the end of the week, everyone on the Never Ever list, they had flown off the list and she was able to live free. And we made it clear that our home and anything that we touch is a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And if you can't get right by how we are living and embracing of all of our family members, mm-hmm. you are not welcome. Amen. That's right. Amen. That's right. I'm going to love you from across the street and wave. But this home is a sanctuary. I can't protect them from everything out there. But this house, no, you got to save all that shit for, you know, your group chat. But I hope that you you, your your actual soul changes Mm -hmm. and expands. But if you can't pull it together to, you know, to be decent in our home, you're not welcome in our home. And we were clear about that. And then you told the school and I just, for all the teachers, so many teachers listen to this podcast and I just want to read this one part. Okay. So Gabrielle goes or calls, calls the school. Gabrielle, I'm sure you could never guess this, but she describes herself as ready for battle. Okay. She's going to tell the school. And the t- I guess the teacher or the principal on the other side, when you said you described the what Zaya was going to go by, you said Zaya is her name and her pronouns are she and her. Yeah. And they said, 
okay, no problem. No problem. When I tell you that I wish this for every parent of an LGBTQ child, that the person they adore and cherish is not seen as a problem, I say this from the deepest part of my soul. And Gabrielle, what I loved about that is like you were, it was a shout out to parents. It wasn't, you know, we worry so much about the kid. How's the kid going to feel? And that is the first priority. But the gift of of LGBTQ parents being able to say, here is my most precious, the most precious thing in my world. Will you please not consider this precious thing a problem? Exactly. so powerful and to all the teachers and administrators, just no problem. I mean, we have been very lucky, very, 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 very lucky. And I say luck because it is the luck of the draw, but there is, there is the opportunity at every, at every institution, you can either respond in kind and compassion and love and I'm not even going to say understanding because I don't need you to understand. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I need you to say, maybe I don't have all the answers, but let's figure it out together. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to always make sure that I'm creating a safe space for you to learn and grow and nurture, be nurtured. Um, But every, every year I meet with not just the teachers, but if the teachers aren't supported by the administration, um, then, you know, you're only going as far as that classroom. And and I I want it to be clear. Um, I don't have a problem suing people. I've sued many people. You could be added to the list um, if you want to with my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, no problem, but let's be really clear. These are this is the situation, and don't start none, won't be none. And and are, how we how we doing, guys? <laughs> and I've never been met with anything but you know. And and I say luckily because I know there's a lot of parents who've been met with derision and yeah. and just discrimination and just horror stories. I've just been very lucky um, yeah. that and there's that the I've, horror I've, stories. You know, And then there's the general annoyance, the beauty of, you know, my, my child is trans, my child is, my child is anything. And then the reaction that makes it seem very clear that it's inconvenient Mm. for the other person, right? It's just like annoying, like they don't fit in a box or they don't fit in it. So it's going to make it more paperwork or it's going to make me switch my brain. And this idea that even if it's inconvenient, Mm Love is always inconvenient. That's right. And if you're working with kids, yeah. just read, be ready yes. for a lot of inconvenience if they feel <laughs> safe enough to actually tell you who they are. Yes. Which is what we're trying to create anyway. Yes. Yes. I just want to say this before we move on. Um, the way that you celebrate Zaya is something to behold. It's something to witness. And I watch you all on Instagram And I see the way that you're not just like letting her be a part of your family. Mm -hmm. Like you're like, no, this is who we are. Mm -hmm. And having her step in front of you and Dwayne at times to be almost like the face of your family. And to me, like as a, I've been a gay person all my life. (laughs) And I just want you to know that um, it is the modeling you're doing for other parents is maybe some of the most important work you and Dwayne will ever do. And you're saving actual lives. What you guys are doing now is saving lives. And I just, yeah, that kind of love is not, it's not common. And I'm just so grateful for it. And we see it coming from you. We see it all. We see you leading that way. I mean, did you um, see like their outfits today? I know it's too <laughs> Get much. Get out of here. 
It's just, amazing. well, Zaya is like, you know, she wants to go into fashion. So we're like, but say less. Mm. Um, <laughs> and shit. So she's like, it was weird because, you know, the, the, the whole people ask us all the time, like, why would you, you know, make her story so public? And the, the, the reality is we weren't, that wasn't Zaya's, you know, wish, but uh, there was a time, you know, a year and a half ago or so at the start of seventh grade where D was doing this documentary about his basketball career. And they were using a lot of footage of Zaya as a young little person, as a young child. And not any current footage, because current footage would show that she's wearing women's clothing. Mm. And the filmmakers were just, you know, trying to avoid it. But when they would use her dead name, you know, because they're filming at our house. So she can, Zaya could hear them using her dead name. Mm. And so she came to us, she's like, hey, you know, um, can you, can you have them use my name, Zaya? And we're like, yes, absolutely. But we need to explain to you what comes with that. This is a public thing. This is going out to the world. Dad will have to do press surrounding this documentary. It's going to open up a can of worms. You know, I don't know if you're ready for that. You're a, you're a kid. And she was like, uh-huh, I get that, but I need them to use my name. I want, mm-hmm. I want my name. Mm-hmm. And we were like, and she was like, so whatever the chips, let the chips fall, but they're, they're going to need to use my name. Mm-hmm. And from that moment, she has led, you know, there's a reason she's walking in front, you know, she's, she's leading us in many, many ways. She drags us for filth often. Um, you know, we only, <laughs> We only know what we know. And, you know, so like sometimes you might use uh, the wrong, the wrong words, the phrase, or, or you're just ignorant to something. And she's like, "Hmm, okay, sit down, story time, kids. And she educates (laughs) us, you know, within her smart butt way. Um, But that's, that's how it has to work. You know, sometimes when you don't have all the answers and even if someone younger than you maybe has more knowledge about certain things than you, humble yourself. It's okay. Life's That's not right. going to end. That's and right. and let the children lead. You know, right. Whitney Whitney and Dolly said it best. You know, um, <laughs> let the children lead the way. Um, you know, yeah, but, we don't have to have the answers. I mean, we're always but, so but, afraid to talk to the kids because we don't have the answers, but we never have had the answers. We just have to be, as you would say, a sanctuary where they can ask, tell us what they know. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of parents, and it, it was weird at first because it just feels... I don't know, harsh and hateful, but they'll say, I don't know how to love her like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to love him if he's going to do that, if he's going to be that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're like, you can't love your kid? And they're like, no. Like, like, just no hesitation. Just like, I mean, can you imagine? I'm like, yeah. You just, just love them. Yeah. You don't have to understand every, every single That's thing. That's what it is. I think they think love means understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they're doing what you're doing. And it's like, I, you don't have to approve or condone or condemn or understand every single thing. That's your baby. Yeah. Love them. Love them and protect their peace. Like it is like it is your peace. Mm-hmm. And in the way that you're trying to sh- make your force, your kids to shape shift, to make you more comfortable. So you're not dealing with questions and conversations that you may not be ready for. Ma'am, sir, how about like address your shit? Don't put that on your kid. That's That's an option. That's an actual option. Don't jack up your kids because you're not right with yourself Mm -hmm. because you you're afraid of your neighbors and what they have to say. 
it is okay to cut out people that, that are trying to shame you or force you or cajole you into not loving your children. Hey, fucking men. No, that, that should not loving your kids, putting your children out like the garbage is, should never be on the table Mm -hmm. ever, ever. And there is no love without full and radical acceptance. Just don't, it's something less than love when we are holding that, um, whatever we call it, approval celebration um, back. Pod Squad, some of what we share with you on the show are our individual unique experiences in therapy and the takeaways that help us grow, appreciate each other, and navigate this beautiful life we're doing together. Thank you for doing it with us. But the things we talk about in therapy itself, these are things we wouldn't necessarily share with just anyone. I think there are a few things more important than finding the right person to share your deepest thoughts, feelings, and questions with, like a therapist. That's why we are thrilled about Alma's support of our show. They're big believers that you need the right someone to talk to, not just anyone. Alma helps you to find a therapist who gets you based on your needs, someone with whom you'll feel comfortable, heard, secure. Plus, and this shouldn't be overlooked, over 96% of therapists at Alma accept insurance because you want to pick someone based on the right fit, not just based on finances. You can browse their directory now. You don't even need to create an account. Visit helloalma.com slash hard things to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash hard things. I want to end with this um, ugh, few sentences you said about little Kavya James. Um, you said the moment she pressed the plunger to transfer the embryo, there was this bright burst of light into the void. It was like watching the birth of a star. We just had to hope that the light stayed bright and was not extinguished. And I just read that sentence like 13,000 times because I understand that that sentence was just about that moment where the embryo was being transferred, but it feels so much, Gabrielle, like that's what you do day in and day out with all of your kids. Like that you are just making sure that their light is not extinguished in any way. And you yes. can watch the, the their little faces. They just are so full of light or they're so full of whoever the hell they are. Each of them is so different. They're just, but your celebration of them is our favorite. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. And I hope that you are also making sure that your light is never extinguished That's because right. you're a freaking light in this world. That's right. I mean, I do, you know, it's yeah. a struggle. You know, I, we all have our path and some days are better than others, but it's, it's a phrase that I have used not only for our children, but for our marriage, mm. for business, for my friendships, for my familial relationships. Cause there's always that opportunity to snuff out somebody's light. Mm-hmm. Or to be in such a state where you're open for your light to be snuffed out. Mm-hmm. And there's just the little stupid things that you can do that that just lets people know. And I'm such a cusser. I was about to say, let, to let motherfuckers know. To let people know. <laughs> I am too. It's, all light. it's, it's all a good. problem. It's to good. let people know that their light is not just 
shining that where they can see it. Their light is so bright that it's illuminating mm-hmm. worlds that they can't even imagine that they are illuminating. Okay. And those are just, I mean, they're little, they're little things that like go a long way, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, just try not to extinguish anyone else's light. Let's do that today. That's going to be our next right thing. Blow out no one's light today. Yeah. Also, please, please go out and get Gabrielle's newest book, which is already a New York Times bestseller the first week it was out. You got anything stronger because you're going to love every chapter because it's so freaking honest and beautiful, but also because we didn't get to the one part that I was dying to get to, which I am going to invite you back, please, to talk to me about, which is the chapter about ISIS and how you would redo her. I mean, you're going to need to get the book just so you can read what we didn't talk about yet. Um, But someday, will you come back and talk to us just about ISIS? Someday. Next week. Okay. We got to talk about ISIS. We got to talk about, you know, me, my love of strip clubs and perhaps don't drink dark liquor and take X-lax and <laughs> go to a strip club. That's a chapter oh, that in the there. Best. But yeah, there's lots to talk about. And I would love to come back if you guys would have me. And I, you know, I, again, I don't want to be a psycho fan, but I am a psycho fan of both so of you. I've, I've, you know, Abby, I watched your whole career. We're similar in age. And, yeah. you know, you played with some of the greats that I came up with and, mm-hmm. you know, played against you know, Tiffany Roberts back in the day. Like, Oh, hey, like, you know, girl. Yeah, what? Like, this is <laughs> like, are. I mean, like, so I've just been a fan forever and, and what you've done for sport and what you've done for, um, for all women has just been, you know, amazing. And the fact that you all found each other, that is, that's, (laughs) that's everything. And I just want to thank you guys, you know, for having me on. Proof of hope. (laughs) Freaking hope that either saves us or kills us every damn day. (laughs) All right, then we will see you back here soon. And we will see you on Instagram. Where we stop. Yes. Thanks, love. Thank you guys. Thank Thank you. you And bye, sister, if you're listening. See, I got it in there. I give you. Tish Melton and Brandy Carlisle. I walked through fire, I came out the other side. I chased desire, I made sure I got what's mine. And I continued to
produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Especially be sure to rate and review the podcast if you really liked it. If you didn't, don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs>